Welcome to the Brain Tumor Podcast with Dr. David Walker. The aim of this podcast is to educate and inform. The information in this podcast is general in nature and is not a substitute for medical advice from your own doctors. In this episode, which is really the first episode in the whole series, I'm going to talk about a couple of things. Firstly, I want to give an introduction to brain tumors, get a definition of what tumors are, talking about primary versus secondary tumors, etc. And the second part of the podcast will cover the issues that um, brain tumors cause, the, the clinical problems, the, the things that patients and their families notice when a patient is diagnosed or before a patient is diagnosed with a brain tumor. So let's get on to it. What is a brain tumor? Well, a tumor itself can be diagnosed, uh, can be defined, I should say, as an abnormal growth of body tissue. So therefore, a brain tumor is an abnormal growth of tissue within the brain or affecting the brain directly. Okay, so within a tumor of the brain is an abnormal growth in the brain or affecting the brain directly. So that means that it doesn't have to be of the brain itself, but it can be of tissues around the brain and squashing the brain or pushing into the brain or irritating the brain. So that's what really a brain tumor is. The brain tumors can be, like any other tumor in the body, primary or secondary. A primary tumor is something that grows at that site and is not spread from elsewhere in the body. So tumors can arise in the brain tissue or the tissues around the brain or very close to the brain. They are primary brain tumors. A secondary brain tumor is something that's spread from elsewhere. Another a tumor, usually malignant in this case, that spreads, say, from the lung or the breast or from melanoma. They are secondary brain tumors. Tumors can also be prior, uh, multiple, usually secondary, or singular or single tumors. All right, so now we've got a definition of tumors, a definition of a brain tumor, and also what a primary tumor is versus a secondary tumor. Tumors can also be benign or malignant. Benign usually confers or is otherwise described as non-cancerous growth, and a malignant tumor is usually defined as a cancerous growth. Now, it's not always as simple as that, and certainly with primary brain tumors, the normal definition of a cancer that applies to tumors elsewhere in the body doesn't necessarily apply to primary malignant brain tumors. But let's just start with the benign tumors. So benign tumors are usually slow-growing, well-defined, and are not invasive. They have a, a very low mitotic rate, which means the cells don't turn over very quickly. They generally do not invade the, tumor, the, the brain tissue and therefore can be cured often by local therapy, particularly surgery. So that's a benign brain tumor. Same as a benign tumor elsewhere in the body. A malignant or cancerous brain tumor is something that invades the brain. Malignant brain, brain tumors, that is primary malignant brain tumors, very, very rarely spread for the rest, to the rest of the body. And that's the main difference between malignant tumors of the brain versus malignant tumors elsewhere in the body. In fact, a cancer is often defined elsewhere in the body as something that has the potential to spread it um, to different sites. And that's not the case with primary malignant brain tumors. They can ha it can happen, but it's very, very rare. And there may be a few reasons for that, which we won't get into at this point. But... Basically, the, the, the sine qua non, that is the primary definition of a malignant primary brain tumor is something that invades the brain and cannot usually be cured by local therapy such as surgery. So we've, we've defined a tumor, defined primary and secondary, and we've 
briefly define benign and malignant, but it's a, a key point here that not all benign tumours are easily curable. Some benign tumours can be very difficult to treat and in fact cause a recur despite the best treatments that we have available and in fact cause the demise of the unfortunate person that has that benign brain tumour. It's not usually the case, but it's really important that we recognise that that can be, um, can be the situation. And certainly, benign brain tumours are not always to treat, are not always easy to treat. They can be very, very challenging, particularly tumours around the base of the skull. And they can be involving, or no, not, not invading, but involving very important structures. So it may be impossible sometimes to cure benign brain tumours despite surgery, radiation therapy, and, and sometimes chemotherapy. Malignant brain tumours, on the other hand, are almost universally uh, very difficult to treat, but not always. So that's a difficult, uh, sort of interesting thing. Some, some malignant brain tumours, even primary malignant tumours, can be cured. It's, it's rare, I have to admit that, and the most common malignant brain tumours, which are glioblastoma and related tumours, are very rarely curable. I'll have a whole topic on glioblastomas and other topics on other different types of gliomas later in the podcast series. But the point is that um, not all malignant brain tumours are incurable and not all benign brain tumours are curable. It's very important to recognise that. But as a general rule, yes, it is better, much better to have a benign brain tumour because they are easier to treat and potentially curable. And it's generally bad news and very difficult to deal, uh, uh, to have a malignant brain tumour because they are notoriously difficult to treat, particularly the commonest ones. Now, how do we classify brain tumours or how do neuropathologists brain, uh, classify brain tumours? And there's been many different types of classification systems over the years and they, um, they've been going for at least 100 years since the time of Harvey Cushing, who is generally regarded as the uh, father of uh, neurosurgery. But in essence, the classification of brain tumours like elsewhere in the body, tumours of elsewhere in the body, is based on two things. That is the cell of origin. That is where which cell, which type of cell, which normal type of cell has given rise to the tumour. So a tumour of the meninges, let's just give an example, is then called a meningioma. Or a tumour of a glial cell is called a glioma. Oma is the... Uh, suffix which um, implies tumour. I think it's a Greek um, derivation. So melanoma is it's not in the brain, but they can spread to the brain, is a tumour of melanocytes. Carcinoma is a, a tumour of squamous cell or epithelial cells. Um, so, And in the brain, an adeno, a pituitary adenoma, the, obviously of the pituitary gland cells. So that's one part of the classification system for brain tumours is the cell of origin. The second major part of classification is the degree of malignancy. So often uh, within a type of brain tumour, let's just say a, a glioma, um, the tumours are graded often from grade 1, 2, 3 to 4. And the earlier grades, what grades 1 and 2 are less malignant than the higher grades of 3 and 4. Now that's a it's an overall, um, very oversimplification in essence, but generally speaking, tumours are graded based on their degree of malignancy and it's often a numerical scale. For example, a glioma may be a, 
a subtype of glioma is called an astrocytoma, which is a tumor of astrocytes, and they can be grade one or they can be grade two, three, or four. Now, that again, it's an oversimplification, and the, the classification systems have evolved. And in fact, it's really not uh, that applicable at the moment to say gra uh, grade four astrocytoma that's generally considered a, a glioblastoma. But nonetheless, you get my um, the drift that uh, classification, both not just on cell of origin, but also the degree of malignancy. Now, tumors can be either context in which the word primary is used is when they initially occur. So the initial diagnosis is um, often the primary diagnosis, so it's the primary tumor, but we can also refer to recurrent tumors. So a patient may have had treatment for a particular type of tumor, let's just say a meningioma, that's the primary tumor, and then sometime later, it regrows and that's the recurrent tumor so and that's another way of looking at tumors is it primary or is it recurrent another term that uh, often is uh, come across in, the, in this context is um, residual tumor so that means the degree of or the amount of tumor that's left behind after the initial surgery usually and and interestingly uh, that degree of residual tumor is um, often underestimated by the surgeon but um, that's more about their ego rather than anything else. But often um, there is residual tumour. It's important to recognise that, um, either from macroscopic appearance or uh, imaging postoperatively. So it's an important way of defining, not necessarily classifying brain tumours, but really giving a, an important bit of information about that particular situation for that patient. So in summary, we've talked about what a brain tumour is, uh, primary versus secondary tumours, benign versus malignant, classification using cell of origin and the degree of malignancy, um, and also whether a tumour is in a primary or recurrent, and whether there's a degree of residual tumour after initial treatment. Now I just wanted to get on to, to the symptoms, or how to, uh, the si symptoms and sign that is the clinical features of a brain tumour. How does a person know that they've got a brain tumour? And there are really only three ways, or I suppose in, in, for completeness, four ways, which I'll talk about, um, where a brain tumour can cause problems. The first one is a neurological deficit, so that a brain tumour, and this can be primary, secondary, benign or malignant, can cause a dysfunction in the part of the brain or a, a big part of the brain. So... For instance, a tumour can grow in the motor area of the brain, which is in the posterior frontal lobe, and that can cause weakness in one or more limbs. For example, a glioma may affect the left frontal lobe posteriorly, and that can cause right-sided weakness, whether it be just the hand or arm or both, or even the, the complete right side. And often that can be thought of initially as being possibly a stroke, but usually the symptoms come on uh, more slowly. A tumour affecting the frontal lobe more anteriorly, that is in front of the motor cortex and is in the prefrontal areas, can often cause um, psychological or cognitive deficits. And if it's a slow-growing uh, benign tumour, then that, those sort of deficits can creep up very slowly, even over years. And the person may be misdiagnosed with a psychiatric illness before eventually um, a, a tumour is diagnosed. So slow-growing tumours can cause subtle, very gradual onset of neurological deficits. It depends, obviously, what part of the brain has been affected. So as those two examples in the frontal lobe, whether it be either cognitive problems or motor deficits, but a tumour arising in the 
uh, occipital lobes, say, where the visual cortex is, can cause visual field problems. That is, a person may lose part of their visual field and not be able to look to the left side of their body or the right side or whatever the side might be. For instance, in the right occipital lobe, a tumour affecting that part of the brain may cause left-sided hemianopia, that is, loss of the left side of the vision, visual field. A tumour or tumours affecting the posterior part of the brain, there's the, in the posterior fossa, or in the cerebellum, say, can cause incoordination, difficulty walking, poor balance. So that could be because that part of the brain, the cerebellum, is heavily involved in those functions. So I think you get the picture that, that where the brain tumour is, what part of the brain it, it's affecting, causes the deficit that that part of the brain normally functions as. Now, the second major way that a brain tumour can be diagnosed is causing a seizure or epileptic fit. A brain tumour can be irritative to the brain, and, and the brain functions by electrical currents. And if that brain is irritated, electrical currents in that area can be excited, and that can cause an epileptic seizure. And those seizures can be focal or generalised. A focal seizure is one where it just affects one part of the body and a generalised seizure of, again, this is an oversimplification, but basically affects the whole body and the patient also, as usually, um, goes unconscious. So their level of consciousness is affected. A seizure can spread from being a local seizure, or a focal seizure, I should say, to becoming secondarily generalised. And that's pretty frequent uh, history when a person has a brain tumour because the brain tumour itself will cause a irritation in one part of the brain which spreads, say, to the posterior frontal lobe and they may notice shaking of their, say, left hand and that spreads up to the arm and then the whole body goes and then they go into a generalised or previously referred to as a grand mal seizure. So that's the, the seizures are the second type of um, problem that a brain tumour can cause. And the third type is raised intracranial pressure. So you may, it's pretty easy to conceptualise that the, the skull is a fixed box so that any increase in tissue within that fixed box causes an increase in pressure. And that is called the Munro-Kelly Doctrine. It's been around for hundreds of years. So that if a brain tumour expands within the skull, it gets to a point where the pressure within the skull is increased. And there's a variety of symptoms that occur with raised intracranial pressure. And raised intracranial pressure can be as a result of not just a brain tumour, but also a hematoma, or that is a collection, a blood clot, or an increase in a brain fluid, or CSF, that is hydrocephalus. So the symptoms that are brain, uh, of raised intracranial pressure are headaches, and that's due to stretching of the membranes around the brain, um, you may already know that the brain tissue itself does not have pain-sensitive uh, fibres within it, so it cannot itself detect pain. That it, uh, Pain is a result of stretching or irritation of the dura, that is the membrane around the brain. So that's one thing, uh, one symptom of raised intracranial pressure, most commonly uh, seen in adults. But in, in the other symptoms are drowsiness, so the decreased level of consciousness because the brain doesn't function very well when there's, when there's a lot of pressure on it. That's a fairly late stage. And often in children, there's another symptom that is vomiting. So they're the common symptoms of rage intracranial pressure. Headaches is the main one, but they're also drowsiness and vomiting, and they can occur together or, or in isolation. Now, if a doctor looks at a patient and they suspect 
raised adrenal pressure. There's a couple of clinical signs that are typical of it. And that firstly, if we a, per, a, a person, particularly a kid or a child, they may have a stiff neck, and that is due to irritation of the dura at the back of the brain, causing spasm in the mus- of the muscles in the neck. And the second thing, if a, if a doctor looks in the back of the patient's eyes with an ophthalmoscope, they may see a thing called papilledema, that is a swelling of the optic nerves at the back of the eyes. So they're the, the symptoms of, uh, signs of uh, raised cranial pressure are those papilledema and stiff neck or nuchal rigidity. And the symptoms, that is the uh, what the patient may complain of or their family member may report, headaches, vomiting, and drowsiness. So they're the three things that may bring a patient to a doctor with a brain tumor, neurological deficits, seizures, and raised intracranial pressure. But quite often these days, brain tumors are incidental findings so that a person has a scan of their brain, whether it be CT or an MRI scan, for another reason, and a brain tumor is picked up. So that's an incidental finding. So there's basically four reasons or four ways a brain tumor can be diagnosed. Fortunately, incidental findings are usually um, nothing to worry about sometimes, but sometimes they can be. and Almost always they need follow-up over the long run. So in summary, uh, brain tumors can cause a few things and they're often in combination. So it may just be an isolated seizure that brings the attention of the person uh, to medical um, practitioners and then a brain tumor is diagnosed. But often they have symptoms of not just, or not just a seizure, but they may well have neurological deficits and raised intracranial pressure as well. So I think that's about enough for the first episode of the Brain Tumor Podcast. And I've talked about what is a brain tumor and how they're classified. And I've also talked about what brain tumors cause. And I hope that's been helpful. If you have any helpful comments, as I mentioned, and I'll, I'll talk about it below, but please get in touch. But otherwise, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Brain Shimmer Podcast with Dr. David Walker. Stay tuned for more episodes and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. The information in this podcast is general in nature and is not a substitute for the medical advice you get from your own doctors. Dr. David Walker is not able to provide specific information or advice related to your condition or any individual's condition in this podcast. But if you do have suggestions or feedback, send David an email to professordavidwalker at brisbrain.com dot au